Thank you, Russell. Genesis 44 is where we will be this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Lord willing, we will not leave Genesis until we finish it. (laughs) So just to remind you, because we've been out of Genesis for the last couple weeks... Actually, that's three weeks. This was the one I was supposed to preach when I got sick, uh, and I would have much rather been preaching this text than doing what I was doing. But to set the context and just kind of jog your memory and remind you, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers years ago, and now we find Joseph himself as the number two person in Egypt just under Pharaoh. And his brothers have come because there's a famine and they've needed grain. And so to test his brothers to see if they're genuine, to test his brothers to see if they've grown in their faith or if they're still the same brothers who sold them into slavery, Joseph sets out with, with these kind of series of tests to see the true nature of his brothers. And so first his brothers come and he tells them, I'm going to keep one of you and the rest of you go back and get Benjamin, the youngest brother who didn't come, and bring him back. And so they don't want to do that, but they, they end up having to. And so when Joseph's loading up their grains of sack, he puts the money that they would have spent on the grain in the sacks brothers drive off and then when they stop for gas they realize that all of the money had been put in the sacks and they're stuck in this hard spot if they go back to joseph they've been told we will not see his face unless we have benjamin but they also don't want joseph to think they stole all this money and so they're they're in this predicament they end up going to to jacob going to benjamin telling jacob the whole story and what we learn is that jacob's favorite son is benjamin and he loves benjamin more than he loves the others it wasn't worth it to lose benjamin for him until the food runs out. And so Jacob wants the brothers to go back without Benjamin, and they say, we're not going to go back without him because we've been told we won't see his face without him. And so Jacob relents, and he sends Benjamin. It's the Lord's way of, of ripping this idol from Jacob. And we saw this beautiful passage where it's Judah. Of all of the brothers, Judah is the one who steps up and leads well. He offers his life for Benjamin's life. Like we're meant to see Joseph and Judah's life kind of juxtaposed or compared with one another, where Judah runs off and does all of these terrible, sinful things, then the Lord kind of brings him back in. Joseph isn't necessarily running, but he's shipped off because of sinful things his brothers did to him, and the Lord brings them to this point that we'll see today where they they meet together. And so they show up at Joseph's house, they apologize about the grain, they explain the money on being on top of the sacks, and they say, don't worry about it. And so then Joseph sets up what will be his last test for the brothers that we'll see this morning. He has a meal with his brothers, and they all get drunk. And Joseph lavishes all of these things on Benjamin. What he's trying to do is to get his brothers jealous of Benjamin, just like they were jealous of him. And then Joseph will be able to tell if they have grown in the Lord or not. So, so let's pray, and then we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 44, and we will work our way through the whole chapter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this book. So much of your word is established in Genesis and then repeated in various ways throughout the rest of the Bible. We see themes, we see language, we see covenants, we see all of these ideas, God, that you carry out that are so important to the Christian faith, established here. 
And God, what we'll see this morning is that substitution, which has already been established in in your book of Genesis, but it comes back up again. Pray that our hearts would understand that, that our minds would comprehend it, that you would grow us in you, make us more and more like Jesus. Encourage us where we need encouragement. Convict us where we need conviction and grow us in Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 44, verse 1. Then he, that's Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill them in sacks with much Uh, Fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. So let's pause. Joseph is setting up this final test for his brothers that's going to reveal with all certainty where their hearts are at. And this has been his goal the entire time. And so basically what he's doing is he's setting up the same situation that happened to him. And when it happened to him, his brothers sold him off into slavery and were curious to see what will happen with Benjamin. And so they put the grain back in the sacks, which you think after the first time the brothers would check it before they leave. The sons of Jacob, right? And then they put a silver cup in Benjamin's sack, which is odd. And we'll get to it in in just a minute. Verse 3. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent out away with their donkeys. And they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not that, uh, from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. So as soon as the sun comes up, the brothers have everything packed, loaded up from the night before. And they're ready to get on the road. They want to get these donkeys moving. And so they go a short distance. We're not told how far, but it's not long. And Joseph sends his steward after them. It's so weird what Joseph is doing, unless we understand it's a test that Joseph is giving them. And the steward shows up, and I imagine the brothers are like, what are you doing? And he's like, why do you repay good with evil? Joseph's cup is missing. And they would all know the one that, like, and we, we know that one of y'all took the cup. And he says, this is the cup that Joseph uses for divination. Now, this is super weird, what Joseph is doing and why he's saying this. It's an odd way for Joseph to confront his brothers. Divination, in its most simplest form, is the practice or the use of something or someone to tell the future or to try to change the future. It's pagan. It's prohibited in the Bible because ultimately what you're trying to do is to control a God who is uncontrollable by us. Or to to worship false gods and try to dictate whatever outcome you want. So we can think of it as like reading the tea leaves or washing your car to make it rain. Except it's a worship of a pagan deity. And this is odd because what we've seen in Genesis is Joseph clearly lets everybody know that his wisdom and his success is 100% because of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Not these false gods that use divination. It's confusing as to why Joseph is doing this. And, and, and maybe what he's doing is he's setting himself up against his brothers as powerful but worldly. Remember, he, at the party, he seats them in order of their age. And so they're already kind of mystified by Joseph. And maybe he's feeding into that a little bit. 
whatever conclusion we come to, we, we need to recognize it's odd, but it's also Joseph's way of separating himself from his brothers. The steward already told his brothers when they first showed up, the God of your father earlier. They recognized that like, okay, the God of, of Jacob, the God of our dad is somehow entwined in, in Egypt. And so maybe what Joseph is doing is he's, his brothers got a little too comfortable. And so he's trying to distance himself for this last test. The other thing that becomes clear as we read this passage is, is that this is what Joseph is doing. Like this is going to be the test of all tests for him. It's going to reveal if the brothers have truly grown in the Lord or if their hearts are still cold-hearted and jealous towards the favorite brothers. See, Joseph's been gone for 22 years at this point. And so what Joseph's doing is by having the cup in Benjamin's sack is he's setting up the other brothers with an out. And so the steward does exactly what he says, and then look what happens. Verse 7, And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we will also be the Lord's servants." And he said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. So the brothers are really confused. It's shocking to them that somebody stole this cup, which is a good sign of how they view each other. They could have easily said, like, Gad, you steal things all the time. What did you do with the cup? But they didn't say anything like that. They didn't point fingers. They're all shocked, and they're so confident that no one stole the cup. Did you catch what they offer? Whoever stole it will be killed, and the rest of us will be enslaved. This is the response of people who would never imagine sinning in this way. And we as churched people need to be very careful of this sin. It's called legalism. So much of Joseph's story is about this family being reconciled. And one of the things that makes reconciliation so difficult is it means that we have to imagine ourselves in the shoes of someone else who has sinned against us, who, who maybe we have sinned against, who we have hurt or they've hurt us, and we have to feel for them. We have to love them, and we have to love them where they are at. So this is going to be a test. Oh, sorry. Sorry, my iPad froze. All right, we're going to do this thing a cappella. <laughs> this is a test for the brothers. to see what's going to happen. The sin of legalism is extremely dangerous for church people because what ends up happening is we end up saying their sin is worse than my sin. I would never sin in that kind of way. And so what happens is the brothers are like, none of us would ever imagine doing this kind of thing. So let's reign the punishment supreme on whoever did this. Remember, they promised to bring Benjamin back. 
So they do not think that anybody has done this. And so what we see happening is they check their sacks from the oldest to the youngest. And it was found in Benjamin's sack. This is going to reveal their hearts. If they still are hard-hearted like when they sold Joseph into slavery, automatically they're going to tell uh, uh, Benjamin, sorry about your luck. Because did you see what the servant did? He said, I don't, we don't need to kill anybody. What we'll just do is whoever takes it will be the servant now. Everybody else will be free. So when they find it in Benjamin's sack, it's easy for the brothers to say, you know what? Sorry about your luck. You're now Pharaoh's servant. And we're going to go home, and we're going to tell our father what happened, and it's going to kill him, so don't even hope that he's going to come and help save you. We're going to be running the family now. Let's see what happens in verse 13. And they tore their clothes. And every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. And when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. The brother's response was tearing clothes, which means grief and mourning. They could have left and said, well, take Benjamin. We're going to go the rest of the way home. We've already made it this way. We're not turning around. But they don't. They return back. And Judah and his brothers. Did you catch that? Judah and his brothers go to Joseph's house and they see Joseph still there and they fall before Joseph for the third time. If you remember Joseph's two dreams that got him sold into slavery, the brothers bowed down to him three times. Verse 15, And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. And behold, we are my Lord's servants. Both we and he also who is in the hand, whose hand is the cup, has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand uh, the cup shall be found will be my servant. But as for you... Go up in peace to your father. So again, the brothers are given and out. They bow before Joseph, and Joseph says, Don't you know that I practice divination with this cup? This is my cup that I use to hear this divination things from. It's clear that it's Joseph's, and they would have known that it's Joseph's cup. And I love that it's Judah that replies. And he doesn't make an excuse. Listen to what he said. Judah says in, in verse 16, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? And did you catch what Judah? Remember Judah's story? A massive sinner who rebelled against God, rebelled against his family. Look where the Lord's brought him. And look what Judah blames us on. He doesn't say, Well, it's just because Benjamin steals things. He says, God found out the guilt of your servants. God found out the guilt of his servants. I wonder what he's referencing. It's when they sold Joseph into slavery. And Joseph says the same thing the servant said. 
We're not going to take all of you as, as slaves and, and kill one. Instead, we're just going to keep Benjamin. He's the one who stole. He's going to pay his punishment in prison, and the rest of you guys are free. Go in peace. It's another out for the brothers. The favorite son can be sold into prison, and the other brothers can go home guilt-free. Verse 18, then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in the Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn for you, against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. So what we're going to see is the rest of this chapter is Judah pleading with Joseph on behalf of Benjamin. The first time they sold it was Judah's idea to sell Benjamin for money. And now what we see Judah doing is the Lord has grown him in a way that is unfathomable to us. And so he goes to Joseph, and he's begging, like, don't, don't get angry with me. I just want to speak to you. You're like Pharaoh himself. Let me just have your ear for a moment. And so this is Judah's plea, verse 19. And the Lord, uh, my Lord asked his servants, saying, we have a father or a brother. We said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, a child of his old age, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left, his mother's children, and his father loves him. So what Judah's doing is he's retelling the story. He's like, this is what happened. Please hear me out. You asked us a long time ago when we first came down here if we had a father, and we said, yes, we have a father. He's an old man. You asked about a younger brother. We said, yeah, we have a child that's our father's, (laughs) our dead stepmom's son. He's the favorite. It's a weird kind of relationship, but he's the favorite, and he stayed home. Our father loves him. And he had another brother, and his other brother's dead. So this is the only son he has from his favorite wife. Verse 21, And then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. He's again restating how much Jacob loves Benjamin. They can't be separated. The last time our father trusted us with one of his favorite sons, he ended up being sold into slavery, although we lied to Jacob and told him that he was eaten by an animal. Verse 23, then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Again, it's just Judah replaying the story that's already happened. Verse 24, when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Judas pleading his case. He's saying, this is the reason why we came in the first place is because you had to see Benjamin. And this is all of the work and the things that we had to do to get him down here because he's my father's favorite son and he's the only one left. Verse 27, Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, as I said. Surely he has been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. And if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Imagine Joseph hearing this. They don't know it's Joseph they're talking to. And he's saying my father had two sons. His father actually had 12. But two favorite sons... And one has been torn to pieces, and it ripped his heart out. And the only thing that kept him going was the other son that he had, Benjamin. 
And if harm happens to him again, I imagine Joseph, Jacob did not trust the brothers with Benjamin at all. I'm sure Benjamin sat at the house and played video games and never had to come out of the basement. While all the other brothers worked in the fields day and night to provide for everybody. Imagine how much the brothers would be like, finally. We can get rid of Benjamin, Jacob will die, and then we can lead the family the way it needs to be led. But that's not their response. Verse 30, Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then at his life is bound up in the boy's life. And as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. And your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. So this is the part that Joseph doesn't know. That they end up getting Jacob to come down, and he says, or Benjamin. They get Benjamin to come down, but his life is tied up with Jacob's life. If Benjamin, if harm happens to Benjamin, Jacob's going to die. And so the way we got him down was Judah, Judah of all people, pledges his life for Benjamin's. He says, I will bear the blame before my father for the life of the son. Verse 33, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy. As a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with us? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. See, there's a a, a biblical doctrine that we need to know. And it gets attacked oftentimes by more liberal branches of Christianity and people who don't believe in Jesus. It's called substitutionary atonement, if you want to impress your friends. Substitutionary means substitute. And atonement means paying for our sins at one minute. It's how we become at one with the Lord. Covering our wrath, giving us righteousness, making us one with God. It's a theme that we see all throughout the Bible, but this is a beautiful picture of substitutionary atonement. Where we have Judah. Doesn't say Benjamin is innocent. Never pleads and says this isn't our fault. Something else happened. All he states is Benjamin is beloved by my father. I want to stay in his place. I will take his punishment. I will take his wrath. He should go free. Let me switch places with him. Let me be his substitute. Why this is so important for us as Christians is because it's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is not do better so you can be better for the Lord. The heart of the gospel is not act right so that God's not embarrassed of you. The heart of the gospel is not wear the right clothes and do the right things and say the right things and vote the right way and dress the right way and act how you're supposed to act. The heart of the gospel is that you and I are absolutely deserving of God's wrath and that's justice. 
that's what we deserve. We've rebelled against God. God has his perfect law. Think about this. The only creation that God has made that rebels against God's law is humans. I was reading the other day, in, 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 uh, it was Joshua, when the Lord makes the day stand still so the army can fight longer and destroy everybody. And I got to thinking, the sun obeys God. The earth itself obeys God. It's us as dumb creatures that disobey. We deserve God's complete and full wrath. We're the rebellious children. Yet instead, God sends his son in the flesh, who's who's fully God. Jesus comes fully God, the son of God, to live the perfect life. Never sins. I, I can't imagine it as the father of three young children, how a baby Jesus all the way up to five-year-old Jesus never disobeyed his parents. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine how a teenage Jesus didn't go through a rebellious face. But the Bible's clear. He never does. In fact, the Bible tells us his mother stored those things up in her heart. Never sins, never rebels. And so people follow Jesus because they think Jesus is going to be this king who's going to lead this army, who's going to overtake the world and put Israel back as the supreme, put Jerusalem back on top to lead the world. And what ends up happening is Jesus does fight the enemy, but he fights the enemy that nobody thought he would fight. Sin. What kind of a king dies? In our world, a worldly king that's good at battle and dies in battle means he wasn't a good king. He didn't succeed. He failed. And that's how many people view Jesus, as he was a good person who said a lot of good things, but ultimately he rebelled against the status quo enough that they put him to death. But the reality is, Jesus' life hung in his own hands, not ours. And that he willingly goes to the cross... The punishment of sin is death, and Jesus never sinned. There is no debt that he needs to pay for himself. And so when Jesus dies, he pays a debt that he does not owe. That's substitutionary atonement, that we recognize that the debt that Jesus paid wasn't his, but it was mine. It was yours. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, his death represents our death. And the life that he lived now is the life we live. It's Jesus in my place. And so he takes our wrath of God, right? So he wipes our slate clean, but he does more than that, right? It's not enough to wipe our slate clean because we're really good at sinning. So if he wipes our slate clean, the next thing we would do is start marking the slate up with more sin. And so we would need another sacrifice. But what Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is a perfect high priest. The old high priests weren't perfect. You know they had to continually sacrifice lambs? Do you know why? Because the lambs weren't completely perfect and neither were the high priests. 
But when Jesus comes, he calls himself the perfect high priest. And he's called the Lamb of God. So you have the perfect sacrifice and the perfect high priest who offers himself up, not for himself, but for you and I, for believers in Jesus. So the wrath of God is taken. And then we are credited with, we are imputed with God's righteousness. So now it's not about our slate. It's about Jesus' slate. So when we die and stand before the Lord and God says, what right do you have to come into the kingdom of heaven? We look for Jesus and we say, he died in my place. I have no right in and of myself. But Jesus saved me. He took my punishment so that I can go free and live in peace. That's what we see Judah doing in the story. It's just a shadow of the gospel. (laughs) You have the older brother sacrificing his life for the younger brother for the sake of the father. The same thing with the gospel. That Jesus comes and dies so that we might live and be brought to the Lord. That's Genesis 44. <laughs> and it's way earlier than that. You remember when Isaac tried to sacrifice, or Jacob, I, Abraham? Golly, I'm getting all the patriarchs confused. Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, and then there was a substitute that was there. We have this in Genesis 44, and it goes on and on and on, pointing us to Jesus as the better substitute. So the gospel's not do more better. The Gospels trust Jesus more. Lean into Jesus more. Let it wash over you more. So I don't know where you're at this morning, and I don't know what's happening. I know life can be hectic and crazy, and sometimes school starting up seems to be busy, and then when school hits, we'll be even more busy, and then when Christmas hits, oh, goodness, we'll be so busy. And then after Christmas, life's going to get a little bit more hectic with the start of 2023. Nobody knows what's going to happen there, and then summer will hit, and we'll get a little bit more busy, and then summer ends and school starts. It's just this compounding cycle of life that goes on. So I don't know where you're at with all of these things, but here's what I do know. The gospel is not only what saves us, it's what sustains us in life. So maybe you're hearing the gospel, and for the first time, the Lord's working on your heart to repent of sin and to turn to Jesus in faith. I mean, praise God for that. Pray the Lord to be saved, and he will save you. Maybe for you, what, what the gospel's doing this morning, what this passage is doing, is it's reminding us of truths that we kind of forget about sometimes when we get busy. That we're not as great as we think we are. But the Lord is good. That our life is not about working and doing all of these things to build ourselves up. It's about leaning in and trusting in Jesus and being faithful where we're planted here. Maybe it's something else. Whatever the Lord's doing in your heart, I pray that you would respond well. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to gather together and worship.